Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us for this bonus content. And it's our prayer that this message blesses you and helps you along your faith journey. While you're here, why don't you check out our online campus where we add new content each week to help you grow. Visit thelifeonline.cc for sermon series, articles, past messages, and so much more. Let's jump into today's episode. Uh, Let's open up our Bibles today to the book of Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 11. Uh, we've been talking about, um, and welcome, real quick, everyone to staff prayer. We have the staff here, and then people listening from all over the world uh, to staff prayer, which is awesome. Uh, and we're glad to have you here with us. We've been talking about in these sessions becoming more spiritual. <laughs> we want to be spiritual men and women. Uh, we said, especially if you work for a church staff, uh, like that's, <laughs> that's a good thing to focus on, uh, is to be uh, in tune with God. We want to know Him. We want to walk with Him. Um, and we want to grow up spiritually. Uh, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, I could not talk to you as adults spiritually. He said, I, I constantly had to talk to you as babes in Christ. I wanted to move you on to milk, but you could not handle it like a little baby. He's saying, like, you don't feed uh, a baby steak. And he's like, I, I wanted to, but you were not able to handle it. And so I'm feeding you with the milk of God's word. And, and, and he gave that as correction. And it was a truth, but it was also a correction and basically telling the church, it's time to grow up. It's time to come into um, a, a more seasoned walk with the Lord. And, and so that's what we all want to do. We want to move beyond the, the babyhood stage of Christianity, and we want to grow in Him and walk with Him. And that's one of the things I so enjoy about my kids getting older uh, I, I will say, I missed the baby stage. The other day, Sunday morning, I was walking out um, uh, before the 11.30 service, and I just had a moment where I'm like, let me just pray in the Spirit a little bit, and like reconnect with my heart. And I went in Pep's office to just kind of walk. I like to walk and pray. Uh, and so I'm walking in her office, and I'm just, I see my kids, like when they were like two and three, playing in a river, and I'm like, oh, I just miss that stage. Uh, but um, I'm liking this stage a lot, and I do get the spiritual growth analogy through this, of I'm able to have a deeper fellowship with them. I'm able to have a greater exchange and sharing with them. When they're younger, they can't quite understand what I'm seeing and what I'm processing. So I'm talking to them about things, but it's not deep things. But now that they're older, I'm able to talk about deeper things, and they're able to comprehend it. They're able to share. They're able to talk back to it. And this is the same way with us growing up spiritually. When we're growing up spiritually, deep begins to call unto deep, and the Father begins to show us deeper things out of His Word. And we begin to read the Word, and it's like, man, I I didn't see that when I was reading it earlier in my life, but I'm seeing that differently, and and I'm, I'm walking with Him in a deeper way. And so this is what we want. We want to grow up spiritually, and we are covering things that I heard a very spiritual man talk about many years ago, And the reason why I like these things is they're not like the basics. I think we all know, like to grow up spiritually, read your Bible, listen to good teaching, pray, like those things are good. But these things kind of hit at a a different angle because I think those things are known that if you can kind of focus on these things, it helps. And so one of the principles that he talked about was deadness to censure or praise. 
So one of the things before that was esteeming earthly things lightly. We talked about that in depth. Um, Then uh, the last time we met, we talked about um, this deadness to praise of like when when we're with the Lord and we're walking with him, we're giving him the praise. We're not taking it in. We said it's very dangerous to take in what only belongs to the Lord. Um, if you become praise hungry and seek the approval of people, it will move you out of the will of God. Because all throughout Scripture, anytime you see anybody in Scripture do the will of God, what did it also do at the exact same time? It displeased a lot of people. And when Jesus is walking in the will of God, there were a lot of people that did not like that. They weren't singing his praises and approving it. There were other people who was like, no, you should be king this way. And he's like, no, I shouldn't. And he displeased them. Uh, there were other people who like, didn't want him to go to this place. I mean, you can, you can hear it in some of the conversations with the disciples when he's going to, to rise up, raise up Lazarus. They're like, ah, I think we should stay here, but we'll go with you and we'll die. So he's displeasing them. Um, and, and if you're going to please God, it means you are going to displease people. And so if you're constantly looking for their applause and you're constantly doing things for their praise and you're constantly doing things to be liked by them or to be valued by them, it will move you out of the will of God. Because we love people, but we love and please God. And oftentimes in pleasing people, I displease God because I esteem their approval more than I esteem his. Does that make sense? And so I got to get out of this habit of living for the praise of people. It's like, I'm not doing this for your praise. I'm doing this for his. And sometimes in doing this for him, it means that I upset you. And, and, and that's okay. Like, we don't always have to agree or we don't always have to see the things the same way. And so that as I progress spiritually, the less I, I get when people praise, I deflect it to the Lord. I'm not drinking it in. But the less I'm moved by it, because I'm looking to see more than if I'm, I'm, I'm pleasing you, am I pleasing the Lord? Is this pleasing to him? And we, I think we said this, but if not, let me emphasize this before we move on to the next point. In displeasing people, we will not do that with like a psh or like a bah, like, you know, I don't have to please you. I'm pleasing the Lord, you know, type thing. Um, in displeasing people, what should anybody know, even if I'm not doing what they want? What should they know? I love them. Exactly. Um, you remember, and we, we looked at this um, 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 a couple of months ago on a Sunday service, I believe it was. But the guy who was caught up in fornication, you know, in, in the book, in the, the church at Corinth, he's sleeping. This is wild. He's sleeping with his stepmother. Uh, and the church is not, and they're all in the church. Like the, the father, the stepmother, and the son are in the church. They're literally worshiping together every time the church comes together to worship. But he is sleeping with his stepmom. It's causing tension. The whole church knows about it, and no one's speaking up. Why? Once again, fear of people. So they're trying to like, we don't want to say anything here and like rock the boat. Uh, and, and, and at the same time, they're displeasing the Lord because a little leaven, Paul wrote, leavens the whole lump. It'll mess up the whole thing. Like that spirit, if it goes uncorrected, it won't stay there. It'll spread. 
you need a little leaven, leaven, so you need to deal with this. And so they're like, okay, we're going to stop trying to please this guy, and we're going to start pleasing the Lord. And they come into this, and they speak this change, and like, this needs to change, and this can't happen here. And I'm sure that displeased some people, and I'm sure that wasn't overly popular, but they're trying to please the Lord. And so they, they you know, remove him from the church, and it's just one of these things that's there. And as this is playing out, he writes to him in 2 Corinthians, and it seems as if the church went on the other end of the extreme of like, okay, we're not going to try to please him. We've got to please the Lord. But in, in pleasing the Lord, and I put quote air marks for those of you who can't see me right now, uh, in pleasing the Lord, um, they come to this place where they are harsh with him. And, and out of this, the correction moved too far over into this. And this is, is one of the paradoxes of Christianity. But, but out of this, it moved too far over in this direction. And so Paul writes unto them in 2 Corinthians. You know what he writes to them in 2 Corinthians? He says, you all need to confirm your love towards him. What does that mean? You need to make sure he knows you love him. You need to make sure he knows you love him. You just displeased him. Make sure, though, he knows you love him. Are you changing your standard? Nope. Are you coming back and being like, it's okay, just do whatever you want? Nope, because I'm pleasing the Lord. But in withholding the standard, you made him doubt your love for him. And what does Christ do with us? Does he lower the standard? Nope. But what does he also do in not lowering the standard? He always lets us know there's a way back to me. Uh, like, I, I don't doubt his love for me. The prodigal son, did, did the father be like, no, 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 you can come do whatever you want and invite the, the prostitutes into the house. Like, just, just come home. He's like, no. He's like, no, there needs to be a repentant heart. But when the, the son came, what did the father do to the prodigal? He does what? Confirms his love for him. He withholds the standard, but he confirms the love. And so out of that, that whenever we're coming through with like not pleasing people and like I'm going to please the Lord, I need to make sure that out of that, that whoever I'm, I'm not pleasing, that the one thing that they don't doubt is my love for them. And this will help you in leadership tremendously too. Uh, for those of you who own businesses or for those of you who are in here who are running volunteer departments, you're going to have volunteers that like you're going to make a decision that they are not going to like. And out of that, when you're making that decision and those types of things and, and enforcing those things through your leadership because you're going to please the Lord. Um, and, and sometimes pleasing the Lord is just submitting to the leadership above you. And, and out of that, doing in a way that brings honor to that leader or honor to that person. It's like, well, this is not what I want, but this is what they want. And God's given me that authority, so I'm going to carry this out. And it's not going to be like, hey, like, they want me to do this. So sorry. Uh, and like throwing that out because I'm, I fear their displeasure. And, and it's the fear of man and it's unhealthy. Uh, but out of this coming and say, hey, we're doing this. And I know this is a little upsetting. But here's what you need to know. I love you. We're for you. We're going to walk through this together. And I know it may be a transitionary moment, but it's going to be okay. Let me tell you I love you. They walk away from me. They were still upset. It's okay. 
You don't have to please them. What would you do? Three days later, call, pick them up, call them on the phone, be like, hey, I know it was a tough conversation. I know things didn't quite work out the way that we wanted to work out. It's okay, though. I want you to know I love you, and I, will walk, I want to walk through this transition with you. What questions do you have? These types of, what am I doing? I'm confirming my love for them. So the more you move um, into spiritual growth, the less those things, though, their displeasure, the less you let those things weigh you the less you let those things impact you. I'm, I'm, I have a greater deadness to praise, a greater deadness to being liked by man. Why? What's my focus on? Is the Lord approved with me? Does the Lord value me? Does that make sense? All right. So the second side of this, though, is this deadness to censure. Um, now, censure is not a word that we would use a lot today. And so the word that we would use for censure, though, is criticism is people who come and critique or criticize our performance, our behavior, the way we raise our children, the way we lead, uh, the way we talk, uh, the way we preach, uh, how loud the, the music is, whatever it may be, criticism. Um, and so this comes from a place that is not correction. How many of you know we should all be open to correction? And we should all be open towards feedback. And we should all be open towards the Nathans in our life that pointing out truths that we know. Now, what's the difference between correction and criticism? Correction, whenever correction is done right, it follows a Hebrew 12, a Hebrews 12 model where I am not doubting their love for me. Does that make sense? When correction is coming to this place where it's healthy for me, it's like, okay, like this hurts, but I think they love me and I need to listen to this. The second thing that correction will always do is it will hurt more than what they're saying. And the reason why it hurts more than what they're saying is because there's a part of your heart that also knows it's probably true. And out of that, it's the Holy Spirit trying to awaken you to a truth that you have been ignoring. And so sometimes that comes from an outside source because you have neglected to pay attention to the inside source. Does that make sense? So critique, though, is from a different spirit. Um, It's coming from jealousy. It's coming from just um, a heart that is hardened. It's it's coming from just, you know, I had had a plane ride years ago with a leader um, who... Uh, was in a process of time where they were losing so much of what they worked their life for. And anytime like you're with somebody who's seeing a lot of good things happen, it's like, great, sit down and be like, what are you learning? Like, success leaves clues. What's going on? But also, a good time to sit down with people is when they're going through a real tough time where they're losing something. And ask, what are you learning? And so they're losing much of what they worked for in ministry and in leadership because of decisions that they and others made. And I sat down and I asked them, I'm like, what are you learning in this season? And they told me several things. But one of the things that he told me that I've never forgotten, all four of them, but one of the things was, be very careful of a, a lying and critical spirit. It's the sign of a major spiritual problem. A major spiritual problem. Um, A lot of times we would look at things and be like, they got a spiritual problem. 
Let me tell you who has a spiritual problem. Anytime you see someone exaggerating or lying about something, who is the father of lies? Um, it is, it's the devil. And when you see someone constantly lying and exaggerating, they have fellowship with him. It's the sign of a problem. And who is also known for his critique? The accuser of the brethren who stands before the throne of God and accuses the brethren night and day before the Lord God. It's the devil. He's called literally the father of lies and the accuser of the brethren. And so when you get around someone that's finding more flaws than than right things, constantly critiquing the restaurant, critiquing the person, can you believe they did that? Can you believe they said that? Can you believe this is going this way? What do you see about that? And it's the sign of a major spiritual problem. Because the devil is the father of lies and the accuser of the brethren. And this guy was talking about, like, I had some powerful people in my life um, and, and, and around me. And I saw, like, that spirit that they had towards everything else. When my life went through a hard time, it turned on me. And they became the, the greatest hurts of, of my life and leadership is because when this happened and there was a flaw and they finally saw a chink in my armor, they did not protect me or cover me. They did what they did to everyone else. And I was fine with it when they were doing it towards everyone else. But when they did it to me, it destroyed me. It hurt me. He didn't say destroyed me. He said hurt me. Destroy is a much bigger word. It hurt me. Does that make sense? And so we don't need to be around that, but we definitely don't need to be that. But oftentimes through life, no matter who we are, we're going to find people who are critiquing and will be critiqued by others where it's just a harsh criticism. And it's, it's spoken not from love and it's spoken not out of love for me and it's spoken not out of love for the, the business or the leadership or the country or the church. It's not spoken out of love. It's not spoken out of God. It's spoken from another source. And it's designed, once again, an overwhelming sense to please people will pull me out of the will of God uh, because I'm, I'm focused more on what they want me to do and less on what he wants me to do. And what did Jesus say? My meat is to do the will of him who sent me. Does that make sense? And so out of that, it's like when I'm living for his approval, the less I care about this. But sometimes because of critique, And because of what some people are saying, we're paying so much attention to the critique that it's pulling us out of the will of God too. And what we're going to see here in 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 Matthew chapter 11 is Jesus um, give an example of this. And we'll read this. I'll explain it for a second and we'll close and pray. Uh, I say a second for several minutes. Um, Matthew chapter 11 When Jesus had finished giving instruction to his 12 disciples, he he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John, this is not um, John the Apostle, this is John the Baptist, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said unto him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? Now, can you see how wicked the devil is, just real quickly? This is literally the man who says, behold the Lamb of God, and says, this is the Christ, like this is the anointed one. 
But as soon as he, he gets in like a really hard time and he's hearing about Jesus setting all these other people free and he is still bound, he's asking like, why are you leaving me in this state? Why are you leaving me in this condition? Are you really the one? And you have to be sensitive to people when they're in this state. It's like it's real easy to come and say, just believe God. But the reason why he's here is he's in pain. And he's wanting to know, like, why, is, why am I hearing all these reports of Jesus setting other people free and I am not free? And so his disciples come to visit him in prison and he says, go ask him that question. Like, are you really the one? And he's doubting. His faith is being shaken. His faith is being wavered. And so notice what plays out here. And he said to him, are you the expected one, verse 3, or shall we look for someone else? This is the disciples who heard this from John talking to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Um, and here he's, he's saying like, John knows who I am, but he's coming to this a place where he's offended because I'm not doing exactly what he wants me to do. And, and out of this, Jesus knows the, the plan of God for John. And sometimes that plan does contradict. See, we, we focus a lot. And this is like, this, this would be a, a, a little interesting to kind of wade into. I'd probably get criticism for it. Um, but we focus a lot on length of life and quality of life. And when we're not seeing those things happen the way we want them to happen, we get offended in Jesus. What does Jesus focus on? Jesus died at 33. John died as a young man. What Jesus was focused on was not length or quality in this life. He was focused on, did I run my race? Did I finish my course? And Paul got so focused on that, he's like, and when I do, I'm not staying on this earth a second longer than I have to. Because I have seen this is not my home. The next life is. And there is a different perspective when you have that. And John is trying to teach Jesus, uh, Jesus is trying to teach John this perspective of focus on the right things. Why are these people set free? Because there is purposes that they still have yet to run. And they can't do it blind. And they can't do it bound. And they can't do it poor. And they can't do it all this. But it's not for luxury. It's for purpose. And so out of this, Jesus is telling John, blessed are all those who will not take offense in me. But then he's about to shift this lesson over into this point of deadness to censure and praise. And and watch how this plays out. Jesus is about to make a tribute to John. And it said, as these men were going away, they're going away to tell John what Jesus said. Like, it is him. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the poor are receiving the, the gospel preached to them. Um, they're going away to say this. Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. And he said, what did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Who, those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And one who is more than a prophet. 
This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way for you. Truly I say unto you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. What, what does this mean? Um, John sa- Jesus says that John is the greatest prophet that ever was born. And when you look at John's ministry, we don't see any dead raised. We don't see any lepers cleansed. We don't see any of this. What do we see John do? Behold the lamb. He's pointing to Jesus. I must decrease so that he may increase. What is the whole message of John? I am the voice talking about someone else. And this is this deadness to praise part. And this is what made John great in the kingdom. And it's what makes us grow spiritually too. Is in my life, I I will not allow anyone to make me the focus of my success, glory, fame, fortune, or progress. I will point to who? It is the Lord. The breath in my lungs, the anointing on my life, the favor of God that is on me, his hand that has sustained me, like I will constantly point to the Lord Jesus. I am not open to drink in that praise. I am not made to handle it or drink it in. The praise only belongs to the Lord. This only belongs to the Lord. The pedestal belongs to the Lord. And somebody says, you're gifted. He gave me the gift. You're anointed. He gave me the anointing. Uh, you're equipped. He gave me the equipping. Well, you spent a lot of time in prayer, but it was him I was meeting with. <laughs> All of these types of things. The attention goes back to God. This is what made John the greatest. And somebody says, well, where, where were the miracles? It's not about it. If the miracle doesn't point someone to Jesus, it doesn't matter. If the prophecy doesn't point someone to Jesus, it doesn't matter. If running around the church doesn't point the unbeliever to Jesus, it didn't matter. That was Paul's point in Corinthians. Like the whole point is people being in awe of Jesus and seeing his miraculous power in my life. And so what made John the greatest was John deflected the praise and said, behold the lamb, stop looking at me. And the disciples, they came to John and they're like, more going to him than they are to you. And without you, there wouldn't be him. And he's like, I must decrease so that he may increase. He he wasn't finding his success from the praise of man or how big his ministry was. It was finding his success and pointing to the lamb. And am I being obedient to what he has for my life? And so John is pointing this out. And then Jesus comes and he immediately, or Jesus is pointing this out. And he immediately makes this contradiction to the next point which is the deadness to censure, the deadness to criticism. And watch how this plays out. Truly I say unto you, verse 11, Matthew 11 and 11. Truly I say unto you, among those born of women, there was not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law of the prophets until John uh, prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. Who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? And we could say the same thing about our generation. It is, it is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children. 
and say, we have played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang uh, and and did a a song and you did not mourn. Uh, For John came neither eating nor drinking and they said he had a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking and they said, you're a gluttonous man, a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. In other words, how do you know if something is wise? What is it producing? How do you know if something is wise? What, is, what, what type of life is that way of living producing? Is it producing fruit? Wisdom is justified by her offspring. In other words, wisdom is justified by what it produces. Well, how do you know if that's the right way to, to raise a child? Look at the child. How do you know if that's the right, right way to do the marriage? Look at the marriage. How do you know if that's the right way to run a church? Look at the church. Like all those types of things. And so they came to John and they're watching all these crowds be drawn to John the Baptist. And they're seeing like all these things happen. He's pointing to Jesus and he's doing it out in the wild. And he's eating locusts and wild honey. And like he's not dressing like he belongs in a king's palace. And it's rugged. And, and all of these things. And they're looking at that. And what are, what are they doing? They're criticizing it. They're like he has a demon. I'll tell you what he has. He has a demon. And you know who it was doing a lot of the criticism? Not the sinners. It was actually the publicans and the people who sat uh, are not even the, the people, the Pharisees, the people who sat in very religious places were looking at John and it's like, he can't wear that. He should wear something different. He can't say that. He should say, did he study where we studied? Did he do what we did? And look at all these crowds being, dr- I'll tell you what he has. He has a demon. That's what he has. He has a demon. And what was John, right? Slap dab in the middle of the will of God. But from the outside looking in, what did it look like? They, they looked at him and said, he needs to change. Now, what would have happened if John said, you know what? Like, if, I wonder so often, like, what would have happened if, if John had Twitter and he was able to see the feedback on his ministry or check the Google review and all these things? I wonder if he would have changed. I wonder if he would have changed what he wore to please people. I wonder if he would have changed what he ate. I wonder if he would have changed where he had his meeting. It is too far out. You know what? It needs to get closer to the people. Um, I wonder if he would have changed because of all the criticism of like, you can't say that. You can't do that. And live so much more for the, to stop the criticism of the people. Literally, Jesus said, they, they were saying John had a demon. And he's right smack dab in the will of God. Question, did Noah get criticism for building the boat? Yep. Uh, Did Moses, did everyone in Egypt like Moses? And it's like, God wants his people to be let go. And then when he he finally let him go, and they're like, God wants us to go this way. Did, Did everybody like, yes, that sounds wonderful, beautiful. I think that's awesome. We follow you to the end of the world, Moses. It's like, no, we shouldn't go that way. We're not listening to this. Moses is like, I'm going to go up and get commandments from God. They're like, you know what we should do? We should make our own God that we can see. Like all this gold God gave us, let us turn into a golden calf. What if Moses would have succumbed to the will of the people because he feared their criticism? He saw their tweets. It's like, "Ah, I don't need to talk about that as much. See, what does, and what does criticism and praise, what is, the, what is it designed from the enemy to do? To pull us out of the will of God, that I'm seeking to please people more than I'm seeking to please God. 
And so with John, they're looking at John and they're like, everything about John's ministry is wrong. And they look at Jesus and Jesus's ministry. And I love this. Jesus's ministry looked completely different than John's. I mean, completely different. Uh, they're looking at John and he's like holiness and baptism in water. And Jesus is like at a tax collector's house eating with people that the Pharisees called unclean. You got women, literally, who have caught up in lifestyles that when they approach Jesus, they're like, if he really was a prophet, they would know uh, that she should not be anywhere near him. Completely different ministry. So much so, they weren't saying he had a demon. They said he has an eating and drinking problem. He's enjoying life too much. Um, The Bible tells us that Jesus had a joy that people looked at that surpassed his brethren. Um, and these types of things. And so they're coming literally to perfection. Jesus is God made manifest in the flesh, literally zero sin. And what are they doing? Finding flaws. Like, you shouldn't go there. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't eat that. And you know what you should do? You should fast. In fact, they got so much in the disciples. They're like, John's disciples are fasting. Shouldn't we fast? Like, shouldn't we do what they're doing? Shouldn't we do how they're doing it? It's like, literally, the disciples of Jesus are coming to Jesus. They're like, over here in this ministry, they're doing this. And I think if we did this, like right now in our, and Jesus like, we'll do that, but it's not time for us to do that yet. Like, that's coming, and you'll do it, but it's not time for us to do it now. And like all these types of things, he's just not moved by this, because what is he focused on? Is this pleasing unto the Lord? So he has a greater interest in what the Lord's pleasure is than people's pleasure is. And it's not that he didn't love people at all times. Jesus, he's dying for people. But even in his death, he was displacing them. Um, uh, you know, so we have this, this, this thing in our soul that constantly because of what we're seeing from the outside world pulls us back to where the flesh pulls us back to our own insecurities pulls us back to our own need to try to find pleasure in people, pulls us back from what we know to do or what we know to say or changes we know to make because we are seeking more the approval and the lack of criticism from people than when we are are seeking, am I pleasing the Lord? And Jesus came and he said, John's way of doing this produced fruit. My way of doing this produced fruit fruit. Like this is working and it's different, but it's working and it's, it's leading to, to things that are healthy and it's leading to things that are changing. And, and out of that, I, I want you to constantly be evaluating that in your own life of like, is this ultimately producing the fruit I want it to, to produce? And if it's not, let me be open to the Holy Spirit and godly correction to see, like, what could I do to make this produce more fruit? Um, what could I do? And, and I'm not talking about, like, even, like, church growth or business growth. I'm talking about, like, a fruit that is in your soul. There was a time when John knew, like, when, when my ministry is decreasing, there was a time where he was so sensitive to the Lord, he had no shame of that. Because he knew they all need to go to Jesus anyway. They need to leave me. But he finds himself in a place where emotionally, because of the test, what did the test do? There's no one with him. He's in prison. They're all with Jesus now. 
But his soul is so caught up in this, this moment that it's, it's becoming. And Jesus is like, no, 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 John. Remember that place when you were decreasing? And not only were you okay with it, you found joy in it. Because you knew it was my will. You're about to walk off the earth and you're going to see the Father. And when you do, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You ran your race. You finished your course. You got people to Jesus. You were the voice who went before him. You live for his pleasure. But, but John's in this moment where he's like, I want to see this change in the natural. He got off of like God's approval. And, and, and what did Jesus come and say? He's like, this is not changing. And blessed are all those who are not offended in me. What's he saying? This is right. Even if this is not where it needs to be, I'm not finding my approval. The spiritual person does not find its approval from what is going on on the outside. Who likes it or what likes it? The spiritual person is finding joy in its connection with the Father. Am I being obedient to the heavenly vision? Am I being sensitive to the voice of the Spirit? Am I doing what God wants me to do? And out of that, that genuinely is enough for me. And when you get to that place, you're getting to a place of spiritual growth and maturity. That it's not based off of just what is happening here, the fruit that is producing. And what's the greatest fruit of all? Not ministry numbers. What's the greatest fruit of all? I know him. Um, and, And I'm walking with him. And I'm fellowshipping with him. And that means more to me than any of these other things or anything that could be attached to it. Does that make sense? Deadness, censure, criticism, and praise. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We love you. We honor you. And we thank you for your glory and grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Fique lebrou.
I just, I hear this in, in my heart of take t- the time to find your race and just pull aside to get the instruction from the Father for your life. And I, I'm reminded of uh, Brother Keith Moore talking about this years ago that he came to Ramah and he took this time to like find what was God's plan for his life. And he said after just like really seeking, the Lord spoke to him one sentence, help Brother Hagen. (laughs) And that one instruction defined the next 25 years of his life. Of... He he said he was in healing school and they said, we need help with running sound. And he said, I knew nothing about running sound, but I knew if Brother Hagen needs help running sound, I'll run sound and I'll learn to run sound. And he said that was genuinely the only instruction he got for ministry. But being in faithful in that one thing opened up the door to even the next thing. And I, I just sense as if like don't overcomplicate it sometimes or wait for something like overly deep, but genuinely go through um, and take the time to go through that process of, of quieting the heart and quieting the mind and finding what is the will of the Lord for you right now and make that your win Make that to be the thing you focus on. Make that to be the thing that you do. And whatever it is, no matter how simple it may be, don't define the win by any other thing. Because none of those things will take you to that place where you're running your race other than what that thing may be. So, Father, we just thank you. We will take the time to find. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Go over real quick to Acts. I just had this come up in my heart just as instruction for us. Um, And we're we're doing this already with doing a a prayer conference. Uh, We're going to do a prayer conference and three nights of revival in January. It'll be the third week, I think the 16th through the 18th. So at 9 o'clock, on those days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. It'll be a prayer conference with an opportunity to just pray and get before God with worship. And then at the nights, it'll be a revival night. And it's designed to be the end of 21 days of prayer. 
Uh, but I sense as if this could be like a real transitional moment for many of you, uh, just from the Lord now. And this came up in my heart for this. Uh, the prayer We'll do 21 days of prayer and fasting. You can d- determine what that looks like for you. It could be it's more like jo- Jesus than John. It's like, no, nah, I really feel like I can eat the, eat the fat and drink the sweet in this season. And that's fine. Wisdom is justified by what it produces. Uh, but there could be a time, like Jesus said, there'll come a time to fast. And maybe there's something in your life you need to pull away from. Um, and, and fasting is not dieting. Fasting is, is pulling away from something natural to give that time, thought, and attention to something spiritual. That's fasting. It's not the lack of something. It's the gain of something. Um, and so anyway, we need that. We need times like that. Why? Because that's when direction comes. God speaks in, in stillness and solitude. And your phone is the biggest reason why you don't hear from him in our generation, in my opinion. That, that's not thus saith the Lord. It's my opinion. Of the dopamine levels you get and the, the statistics that I'm reading from that is our attention is so scattered onto that that we have no stillness in our lives, no quiet. No time to withdraw. No, no time where our soul is waiting on the Lord and instruction. And I'm telling you, it's so critical. And the reason why is Acts. Acts chapter 13. And let's look at this. I just sensed this when we were praying just then. Verse number 1. We've read these things many times, but watch this. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of of Cyrene, and the other guys. In verse 2, watch this. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now notice verse 2 again. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Now notice this was a moment of transition. That this moment ended the last thing and started the next thing. That up till now, the Bible had not begun, the book of Acts, had not been following Paul's ministry. But through this season, not just because God wanted it or God called them to do it. But through this season, they were able to have a strong distinction of the end of the last thing and the beginning of the next thing. But God didn't speak this until they were ministering to the Lord in fasting. This word ministering, it doesn't mean like love your Lord, bless your Lord, praise your Lord. This word ministering means to wait upon. And, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you can imagine you're giving your order and the, the waiter's over here, in, in getting through all their, you know, phone, let me look at ESPN, let me look at Slack, let me look at, you know, how many points I have on Delta, what's in my bank account, what's on the news. And they're looking at all that the whole time you're giving them your order. 
and what they want you to do? And what if they're over there trying to cook it and it's like, well, let me check, you know. These kinds of things. Ministering is like pen, pad. What is it you want? And I'm going to keep coming to this table undistracted, unfettered, until I know exactly what you want me to do in this season. And I'll pull away so much so that I'll fast even and pull away from these some of the Why? So I can be less distracted. Not so I can be skinnier. It's not about getting skinnier. You want to get skinnier, diet. You want to know God's plan, fast. And so out of this, this is like, let me pull away from these natural things so that I can get more spiritual. I can tune, give my attention to more spiritual things. So it's not like I'm, I'm going to watch TV less. It's I'll watch TV less to pray more. It's not I'm going to be on my phone less. It's I'll be on my phone less so I can be in my Bible more while I'm waiting on the Lord. And now, how many of you know this is always healthy to do? But there are some seasons, and I feel like we're entering one, some seasons where the transition is final. And here they could sense the end of something and they could sense the start of something, but they didn't know exactly what that was until they took a moment to pray and seek the Lord. And I feel as if like, and we do this all the time, but I I felt we've never done a prayer conference, uh, but I feel as if um, like this next season of like after Christmas, where genuinely it's like a time of prayer and fasting with a prayer conference and all these types of things at the tail end of this. Like there is coming divine direction for people's races of do this. And then an empowerment that comes from those times that empowers people to do it and they go in the grace of that word. Does that make sense? But you're not going to get it if you play around with it. No one can do your ministering and fasting for you. You can't delegate that. The only person who can do that for me is me. And I want to encourage you, like, gear your heart up now. And you can start now if you want. But gear your heart up because sometimes it takes a little gearing up. Gear your heart up. Begin thinking about what needs to change in my schedule. Begin thinking about when I'm going to pray. How am I going to pray? Father, what do you want me to fast? What do you want me to get my attention to? And then I really feel like you take that month of January and you get serious with it. It will be the end of the old and it will be the beginning of the new. And instead of that transition lasting out, it's like I'm not quite in the old, but I'm not quite in the new either. Instead of like being in the middle of that transition, it's hit the ground running. Because I'm, I'm, I'm operating with a clear instruction, but a grace to fulfill that instruction. Does that make sense? Amen. So I know I did a lot more talking today, typically, than we would normally do. And um, I know with that tell end, I, I felt like it was necessary, though. That's what I got in prayer, is like to get you to get to that place where it's like you're not just doing this every Tuesday. But like you're coming to a place where on the regular in this season, you're pulling away and being like, God, what's the next thing? What's my word? What do I need to be faithful in? What do I need to see? What do I need to do? 
and, and living, living, and that was the purpose of this, living for not the approval out here, living for this of like, I did what you sent me to do. I was faithful to it, and I accomplished it. Amen.